I've been promising to do Demons 101 for a while. I've done it before on several occasions, and it's worth doing occasionally. One of the things that I, I discovered early on in, in my uh, walk with God, I think I've told you all, I didn't start being a believer until fairly late in life. And I started in the Episcopal Church, which is kind of an odd place to start, but it worked for me. And one of the things I decided was that I was going to take the scripture literally. And um, So a better way to say it is I take the scriptures seriously, and I take them literally first, unless it's obvious that we're talking uh, metaphor or allegory. So anyway, one of the things that came to me fairly earlier is that if you believe in God and if you believe in the Holy Spirit, then you've got to believe in de demons and Satan. Because they're both talked about in the same source. I think I've told you all the story of the first time I had a demon come through my house. Yeah, some of you are nodding, some of you are shaking your head. I'll tell you again. This is while I was still in the Episcopal Church. And I was um, head of the building committee. And we were building a, doing a major expansion. We about doubled the size of the place. And I was at home in bed, minding my own business. Uh, my lovely wife beside me. And well, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I sat straight up in bed with every hair on my body just going like this. And I said, there's something in the house. So I got up and I got a 45. And I started going from room to room through the house trying to find out what was in the house. And as I went downstairs into the basement, it was like walking into an icebox. The, the, the temperature just dropped. Didn't find anything down there, but it was just very cold down there. I mean, colder than would normally be seasonable. And so the next day I called uh, the Episcopal priest, and we had two priests, one of whom was an ex-Navy guy, and pretty good guy. The other one was sort of a standard Episcopal priest, also a pretty good guy, but not the guy you want in your corner when you've got a demon in your house. So Bob showed up the next day, and he's got this turtleneck sweater on and a pair of blue jeans, and he's got this big honking cross on his, on his chest. Um, and so he said, you know, asked me some questions, and you know, asked me things like, has, has anybody ever died in this house? Is there any bit of murder or any of that kind of stuff? And they, Not that I know of. And so we went through the house and, and did a spiritual cleansing, and that was sort of the end of it. But it sort of led me on a study of, of what demons are and how they work and what they do and how do you deal with them. And it's one of those things that everybody needs to know. Now, there's always a danger when you talk about demons. For about the next three or four months, people will be seeing demons under every bush. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I do believe in demons, and I do believe in spiritual warfare and all those kinds of things, but as you're doing this, have some balance and don't give uh, Satan more credit than he's due. So anyway, what are demons? Fallen angels. Anybody else? Okay, demons are the remnants of a pre-Adamic race before Adam and Eve. Okay, 
Okay? Uh, comment was that they are created beings and, and not really sure under what circumstances or for what purpose they were created, but uh, they are under God's will. And scripturally, that is true. We've been in uh, uh, 1 Samuel on Tuesday nights, and one of the things that God does several times is he sends unclean or lying spirits to Saul. And the scripture says, God sent a demon to Saul. Or not, it doesn't say demon, it says unclean spirit or a lying spirit. Um, and we had quite a, a lively discussion about that. John, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, certainly, you could say that. The question was, if God sends unclean spirits, can you say that it's a test? That what might be one of the things that you would say. That's clearly not what's going on with Saul, though. I'm sorry? Is it a madness? Um, madness, madness is a thing of its own. Certainly demons can induce madness. All right, so let's, let's back up and unpack some of these things. First off, demons are real. They are spiritual beings. They are alive. And they have a will and a purpose about them. They are able to interact with people. So those five things I know for sure. Okay. Now, what, sure, they are created beings. They are spiritual. They are alive. They have a will and purpose of their own, and they can interact with people. Yeah. And when God's name is mentioned, they tremble. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, one of the things that's obvious from Scripture is that as Yeshua was going through his three-and-a-half-year ministry, the only ones that really understood who he was were the demons. Yeah, that's right. You know, the apostles, everybody else say, who are you? What are, what, what are you doing there, white man? And the demons, every time he came into their presence or they came into his presence, they obviously instantly knew who he was. Yes, sir. Yeah, comment was that as near as anybody can tell, and I agree with this, they are not privy to your thoughts. However, they can hear what you say, they can watch what you do, and so as they offer you suggestions about things, they can tell whether their suggestions are being effective by what you say and do. So then is the origin of them, some of them are angels? I have no idea what their origin is. The idea that they are fallen angels or pre-Adamic spirits or any of those kinds of things is just speculation. I have no idea. And I am not speculating here. All I'm saying is I'm giving you their characteristics. They are created beings. They are spiritual. They are alive. They have a will and purpose of their own. And they can interact with people. Yeah, but they're spiritual beings. They're not physical beings. And therein, by the way, lies one of the reasons for their interaction. You are a physical being, and you are able to work both in the spiritual and the physical. Okay? 
So if I want to pick up this cup of tea or something like that, I need to use the physical part of me. If a demon wants to pick up this cup of tea, he also needs to use a physical part of me. They can operate through people, and which is why they want to operate through people is because you're physical. Also now have come to the conclusion that they believe that they're demons. Could be. I have no idea. And again, I'm not speculating on UFOs. I am not speculating on fallen angels. I am not speculating on pre-Adamic races. Okay, I'm not speculating on any of that because scripture is silent. What I'm saying is they exist, they are alive, they are spiritual beings, they are able to communicate with people, and they have a will and a purpose. That's all I'm saying, okay? Everybody got it? Everything else is, goodness gracious, everything else is speculation. As near as we can tell, they cannot read your mind. What they can do is observe your behavior and they can hear you speak. Okay? Now your question is then why do you pray in the Spirit? To get you out of the way. In other words, if you're praying in a, in a language you don't understand, you can't get in the way and manipulate it. So what you're doing is basically allowing the Holy Spirit to use your voice. Okay? Did you? Okay. Are we done? Okay, good. Just checking. Sure. Yeah, and again, all right, settle down. All right? And the, the, the point here is you are designed to operate both in the spiritual world and the physical world. You can sense these things. You are not as good at it as you should be. Okay? Because when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happens is we interrupted our spiritual connection. We disrupted it. It screwed up. So you are able to sense these things. You, they can communicate with you. They whisper in your ear. But you don't have the awareness of the spiritual that you are designed to have. But their motivation, is, there are two motivations. In the case of rogue spirits, which is what we call demons. In other words, just as you have humans who are not in God's kingdom, Right? You walk down the streets of any major city and you will encounter lots and lots of human beings who are created of God, who are made for God's purposes, that are not in God's kingdom and are in fact in rebellion. That also appertains to the spirit world. When I said these are created beings, God created them. Okay? Just like God created you. And just as you are able to lie, do evil things, all that kind of stuff, even though you are created of God, in the same way spirits that are created of God are able to lie and do evil things and have their own motivations, just like you are. Okay? So we were talking the other night about in, in 1 Samuel where God sends a lying spirit to Sam, or Saul. And somebody says, well, how could God do that? Well, just as he has a whole room full of us, anybody here capable of lying? Anybody here capable of lying? If you created by God are capable of lying, what makes you think that a spirit created by God would not be capable of lying? Having said that, the ones that are in rebellion, in other words, the ones that are working counter to God for God's purposes, are still created beings, are still created by Him, but just like created humans, they are off in the weeds, just like we get off in the weeds. Their motivation to deal with you is you're the one 
who has a body and a voice. So if they can get you to speak curses out of your mouth and speak negative things out of your mouth, your your mouth and your voice is the legitimate thing that has power on the earth. You were given dominion. God gave you a voice. He gave you hands. And you were given dominion over the earth. So if an unclean spirit can hijack your voice and or your hands, it can then do things effectively on the earth. Without you, it cannot. Because see, that's what made sense. Okay. So the motivation of these things that are in rebellion, you know, wherever they came from, is to get people under their influence so that people will do things that they want to have done, whatever that is. And of course, that's typically counter to the will of God. In other words, you know, Satan is in rebellion against God and is trying to wreck the plan of God. And the way he does that is by hijacking people. Okay? That's what he had to do with, with Adam and Eve. He had to get them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then once that happened, they became essentially servants of sin. Okay? Everybody understand the motivation. Okay, so how do they work? Or better yet, how do you get them? Let's start there. They are communicable. And they pass between people by touch. Mm-hmm. And so when we lay hands on people, what we're doing is we are doing spiritual conducting. And, and, and this is Johnnyology now. Okay, everybody understand? This is, it's my belief that oil is a spiritual conductor. You know, like heat transfer paste for you engineers, uh, or you know, something that causes spiritual conduction. I think that's why we oil people up and put our hands on them. Is, but that's Johnnyology. That's just me. That's my thought. If you don't like that, you don't have to buy it. Okay. Uh, what? I remember in church being told, "Don't just let anyone lay hands on you." That's correct. We had, in, when we were in the old building, we had a guy that was just lousy with demons. And we finally had to tell the guy, you can come to church. In other words, we're not telling you you can't come to church because this is where you get healed. But you will not touch anybody. So when everybody's walking around, shaking hands and hugging and all that kind of stuff, you sit there quietly and keep your hands to yourself. Because what had happened is he'd go around shaking hands and hugging people and all this kind of stuff, and everybody would be doing this kind of thing. And it, I mean, it was just spook central for, you know, about half an hour after, after that. So there's things that we wouldn't let him do just because he was so lousy with demons. And that Brian and I spent, what, an hour or two chasing demons off this guy. And, and I mean, he was screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and kicking and flailing and, and all that kind of stuff. And we it was just like a quail shoot, you know, just things coming out of a thicket. Now, one of the questions that you'll have, especially if you spend much time around the Sunday church, as most of you have, is you'll get this, well, you can be demon oppressed, but it can't be demon possessed because the Holy Spirit won't share this place with anybody else. Right. Anybody heard that? Right. That's nonsense. I, I can remember one time I was in an uh, old church and I was praying for somebody and laying hands on them and I started walking up to the front and it was like somebody went whack and just hit me on the side of the head 
and my ear went numb and it stayed numb until I had Brian pray for it. Goodness gracious. Until I had Brian pray for it and it was like I was in the bottom of a swimming, you know, when you get out of a swimming pool and you got your ears full of water and you can't hear. It was like that until after I had somebody lay hands on me and pray for me. So is there someone who has the Holy Spirit that can have a demon on him? You betcha. Okay? You betcha. And if you want, you know, people want to argue about, well, you can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And, and, you know, that, that's, those are distinctions without any useful meaning. Okay? Those are distinctions that people come up with to try and justify a theological position. Um, all right. So let's see how they work. As we learned in Musar, everybody is built imperfect. You, you, you come out of the factory, which is your mother, imperfect. And it is not the case that the world corrupts you. It's, it is the case that you start off, and by the way, that's what circumcision is about, is that natural man is imperfect and needs human intervention and alteration before he becomes perfect and complete. So your job is to work on yourself as you live through your life until you, and work on your character as you get better. But because we all do have flaws, we all have, therefore, vulnerabilities. Okay? Flaw is just another way of saying vulnerability. So... If, for example, you have a problem with greed, lots of people do. Lots of people are born selfish. And you have a problem with greed, what a demon will do is come alongside of you and say, you know, the people that you want to give that money to, they, they really don't deserve it. I mean, just look at them. Clearly, you're wasting your money throwing money at those people. You really ought to keep it and, do so, and, and, and save it up and do something good with it some other time. And so what they'll do is, and, and remember, you're already sort of spring-loaded in the greedy position. So what they do is they give you an excuse and, quote, moral support, unsupport, unquote, to go in a direction that you already want to go. So if you're an angry person, People rub people the wrong way. Even with the best of intentions, we rub each other the wrong way. So if you have a problem with anger, what will happen is a demon will come along beside you, and every time somebody bumps into you, well, what was that for? What was she thinking? Why did you do that to me? And, and you're off to the races. Okay? So the first thing to understand is the things about you that are out of balance in a Musar sense. Remember we talked about Musar, you got to get your character in balance and the attributes of character. The things about you that are out of balance are places where a demon will come alongside you and try and push you farther out of balance. Okay? You got a problem with pride. Well, why are you going to associate with those people? They're clearly not as good as you are. And they're not treating you nearly as well as you deserve to be treated. And surely they can see how superior you are, and why aren't they, you understand? 
So if you have a problem that way, what a demon will do is come along and whisper in your ear, and he'll push you in the direction that you already want to go. Yeah? And not only does he push you in that direction, he can try to bring you into bondage to his lies. Sure. Oh, yeah, they'll lie. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll also lie. But lots of times they don't have to lie. All they have to do is sort of push you in a direction that you want to go. They will also lie to you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that they won't. They absolutely will lie to you. But in a lot of cases, they don't need to lie. You're already sort of spring-loaded in that position, and all they need to do is just sort of give you some encouragement in that direction. And what they'll do is they'll give you encouragement to head off into the boonies. Okay? Now, we start off to say, how do we get them? One way to get them is by touch. Okay? They can be passed on by physical contact. The other place we get them is from our families. Yeah. Everybody, anybody heard the term familiar spirit? That is a spirit that runs in a family. So, if you've got a problem with pride or greed or lust or whatever, there's a real, real good chance that your mother or father has a problem with pride or greed or lust or whatever. And what happens is, is you're a young child and defenseless and don't know any better. If you're born into a family, which everybody is, that's typically the way we get born, right? Those of us who are fortunate. So you get born into a family, and that family has got, you know, galloping pride or galloping greed or galloping murderousness or whatever. You're just going to think that's normal. That's just the way we are. Okay? And so what happens is they, you know, they put a small saddle on you and give you your own little demon, and you're off to the races. First. You know, first thing out of the chute. So the second place we get them is from our families. And then the other place you'll get them is just from the world. In other words, if you, if you frequent places where there are demons, you will pick them up. So if you spend a lot of your time hanging around with biker gangs, or hanging around with witches, or hanging around with whatever, just like anything else, you'll pick up cooties. They may not have been sent against you, but you're sitting around there and everybody else around you has got a demon, and the demons all look and say, ooh, wow, new territory. And, and again, don't get me wrong, demons are to be respected, they're not to be feared, is I guess the way I would say that. In other words, you don't want to go through life thinking that you're immune because I got the Holy Spirit. That's not, in fact, correct. But the other part of that is you don't want to go through life terrified that you're going to pick up demons. All right. So the first thing that demons will do is they'll come alongside you and they'll try and push you in a direction you want to go. Now, the next thing that they'll try and do is they'll try and build up strongholds in you. Okay, now what's a stronghold? Fortress. Fortress, yeah. Or a duck blind. Or a duck blind. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Fortress or duck blind. Uh, works either way. 
how does one build a fortress? Time and labor. So let's say that you have got a spirit of fear, a demon of fear. So every time you come into a situation where you're afraid, what you do is you make your make a brick. And you hand the brick to the demon, and the demon stacks it up. And he starts stacking things up around him, and he builds up this wall around himself. And what happens is, every time you try and knock down that wall, those, those bricks, which you made, remember the time when you played tag and there was this big spider, one from my childhood, hiding behind a, a packing crate, and I looked around and there was a spider this big. I was in South America. And, ooh, remember that time? Well, there's a brick. And remember the time when, and there's another brick. And remember the time when there's another brick. And what happens is you hand the demon the bricks and he starts building them up. And every time you try and knock down the stronghold, what you do is you run into those bricks. Oh, remember remember how that person treated you? Oh, remember what they did to you there? Oh, remember this? And that, those are those bricks. And every time you try and knock them down, you relive the experience that caused you to make the brick and it hurts. So instead of knocking it down, you bounce. Okay? Anybody got memories that are really painful? What the fortress does is it prevents you from getting through and getting the demon out of there. So when someone comes to you and tries to cast a demon out, this demon hunkers down behind this fortress that you've built for it and says, I ain't leaving. And when you try and go through to root it out like you should be able to, the memories are so strong or so painful, that either one, doesn't have to be painful, they just be strong, that you can't take them down and you can't get rid of it. And a stronghold, in a military sense, is a system of interlocking fortresses. So here you got a fortress with a spirit of fear. And right here you got a fortress with a spirit of pride. And right here you got a fortress with a spirit of anger. And so you finally recognize, I have got a problem with pride. I'm going to go tear down that fortress of pride. Well, as you're hammering at the fortress of pride, fear and anger are shooting you in the back. What? Well, can you ever lose memories? But, but all right, let me, let, me tell you how to tell, let me tell you how to tell whether you've got a fortress or not. Okay. Let's take this brick. The brick is neutral. Okay. A brick... As Joan says, it's neutral. It's a memory. It's an experience. That can either be pavement under your feet or it can be a wall in front of you. Same brick. And if it's pavement under your feet, it's a good thing because those are your experiences. That's your foundation. If it's a wall in front of you that prevents you from advancing, then it's part of a stronghold. Does that so make sense? Yeah. Okay. So your job is to go get those bricks that you've given to the, to the demons and take them apart and stop, put them down so that they become pavement or foundation under your feet and no longer walls in front of you that keep you from advancing. How do you do that? Yeah. Aha. First question is you recognize what, kind of, what the bricks doing. How do you do that? 
How do you recognize what the brick is doing? Your reaction to the brick. If when you encounter that brick or that memory or that experience, you get this high octane ping in your stomach. Everybody ever get one of those where you come across a memory and your stomach goes ping and you know you're just wired? And you remember the time that you were standing on the edge of the cliff looking down and the way you felt? Or you remember what Susie said to you in second grade and your stomach goes ping? Okay, in that case, it's part of the wall. If you just remember what Susie said, Susie, you know, what Susie said doesn't change. But if it doesn't bother you, then it's part of the foundation. It's your pavement. Yeah? Yep. You can. What I'm saying is it, it's sort of like you've injured your hand and the doctor wants to put alcohol on it to sterilize it and it hurts and you don't want to put alcohol on it. So unless you put alcohol on it, it's going to get infected, but it hurts because it put alcohol, so we don't want alcohol on it. But you can, in fact, say, heck with that, put the alcohol on it. Go to the demon. Yeah, you go to the demon. The demon is what you're after, not the bricks. The bricks are just memories. Uh, and he says, get rid of that. And I said, I want to, but how do I do that? Yeah, a couple of comments that, based on what you said. You just described a stronghold. So you've got this really ugly thing about you that you don't want anybody to see. So pride is supporting or defending whatever this thing is that you don't want to see. So you have an interlocking stronghold. Pride says, oh, I can't let anybody see that. I would really be embarrassed and ashamed and I don't want everybody to know that. And so pride defends whatever this other thing is that is keeping you down. So that's, what, that's a perfect example of a stronghold. They're interlocking fortresses. All right, so how do you get rid of them? First off, if you can recognize them yourself, and figure out what they are, the best thing to have happen is you cast them out. Yeah. That's the best thing. That's the most powerful thing. Because when you recognize what it is and you decide that you don't want that anymore and you cast it out and you start altering your behavior that this thing was influencing, that's the best way to do it. If you, if you can do that, that's your... That's your, your, your most probable long-term success, okay? Number two, slightly less powerful, is you go find somebody who has a spirit of discernment, okay? And a spirit of discernment is where you can see the demons in somebody else. And you go to that person and you say, I need prayer. And that person will lay hands on you and pray, and he will cast demons off of you. I've had demons cast off me. Again, I remember, again, back at the old building, I don't even remember what the demon was, but um, we were praying, and Brian said something, and I don't remember what it was, and as soon as Brian spoke, this thing just dissipated. My mood changed. Uh, 
I, I, have, I don't even remember to this day what it was. But it wasn't something that I was being, I mean, I just knew I was in a rotten mood. I didn't particularly know why. And I wasn't being real successful in getting rid of it myself. And I don't even know whether Brian knew I had it or not, but he was praying, you know, three or four of us standing in a circle holding hands praying, and all of a sudden this thing was gone. Okay? So someone else can help you identify and get rid of them. Now, the problem with someone else doing it, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you don't do this because it's not the best. But the difficulty is, is whatever behavior of yours that caused that demon to attach to you hasn't been dealt with. And in that case, what happens is you've sort of got an open slot now. You've got, a, you've got an open slot for a demon, and... There's no demon in it just right now, but you haven't dealt with whatever it is in your character that allowed this thing to attach. And that's what Yeshua was talking about with the sleeping one. Yep. Demon out yep. That's exactly what he's talking about. So by all means, if you've got a problem and you can't get rid of it yourself, come to the elders, go to somebody with a gift of spiritual discernment. By all means, get rid of it. But understand that you've got more work to do. Okay. You've got to figure out why that demon had an attachment point on you, and you've got to do your best to get rid of that attachment point. And you may have to have it cast off several times. Okay, And don't feel embarrassment as, oh, well, you got rid of the spirit of fear last week, and here I am again. Still, you know, Don't let pride stop you. Get rid of it as many times as you have to get rid of it. But understand that the best is when you figure it out yourself and you get rid of it yourself, because then you sand off the attachment point as well. And that tends to be more permanent. Again, did I say that so it made sense? Yeah. And, and for me, I think one of the overriding premises or starting points, um, Kay's and C.S. Lewis, Kay's character didn't want to, was comfortable with this thing. But most of us aren't even aware that there is a thing. And in our society, um, tells us that that is foolishness. We've grown up, uh, don't be afraid of the boogeyman, and there is no such thing. So I think really part of it is a reality check of understanding that when Yeshua walked the earth, the majority of his ministry was casting out and healing. Mm -hmm. And so we as Christians in the church and everywhere else, we don't like to face the, well, it was all done away with on the cross, or it, it doesn't exist anymore. When in fact, all you've got to look at is lust and anger, anger and murder and greed and power and all of these things which are demonic forces that are at work in the earth today and against us. If you're unaware that you're in a spiritual war, if you're unaware that these demons are present and their sole purpose is to destroy you and everything that might represent the kingdom of God that might be emanating from you, then you're going to get beat up real bad. But when you begin to make the reality shift, and you have things like at the end of Mark, where it says, in the very end of the chapter, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. Right. They will cast out demons. They will cast out demons. Yeshua is saying this. He's validating there are demons. In, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, um, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this indicates that uh, God Almighty and in Samuel and everywhere else, we see spirits through this entire book that we say we believe in. If we believe in it, then we wouldn't even allow fear to tell us that there is no such thing or it's for somebody else at some other time. So what John is saying about the most effective deliverance is when you take ownership and you desire to have this happen. We've prayed for a lot of people. We could see what was going on. We pray, and, and a half a week later, they're right back in the same thing because they never owned it. Right. And they not that you want to own it, that it is you. Which brings me to the point that I think is critically important for us. We are not, no one in this room is any of those things that the adversary tells us we are. We are not ugly. We are not full of all this garbage that they continually are telling us. And to find out who we are, we open the book of God, and it tells us, I have a plan for you. John talked about it this morning. There's a plan for each one of us. We're not what we have succumbed to in the past. We will always have our memory, but we don't have to be guided by these strongholds. And my final short comment is that there is a very clear military structure in the kingdom of darkness. They work together. They play off one one another. And And there is a coordinated effort. That's why you need to understand who you're up against. What I'm trying to say in encouraging us is don't be afraid of these things. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear. It's okay they're there. It's part of the big game we're involved in. We must engage in spiritual warfare personally, as couples, and for our families and children. Because the iniquities of the fathers are vested for several generations. And if I never met my great-grandfather, I know who he was exactly because I have the same problems that he did. And once we start getting in touch with the reality, it's a reality. It's a reality here. There's a spiritual kingdom of darkness, and we are given authority if we'll step in it. The memories may never go away, but we're not to be afraid of them, and we're not going to react the same way with them. We can be healed, and we can be helping one another. I'm sorry I've gone too far. Too many things. But this, I'm so appreciative of John uh, to bring this up because we have to. But we, it's not about uh, Dennis, or it's about him, and it's a, and it's not about John. It's about him and his kingdom will come forth. But there's a battle that's going to go on, and the most important thing is to go home and face the enemy. But you cannot do it unless you know who Father says you are, and you're none of the junk that he, that the adversary says you are. Those are lying spirits. You are not those things just because mom and dad were, or they told you that, or your ex-husband told it to you, or your girlfriend who broke up with you, or whatever it is. You are not those things, and you cannot listen to those things. You've got to take them on, because he tells you who you are. Praise God. One last thing. As Dennis says, uh, we're in a battle. And you're intended to win. It is not God's intention to spend an eternity with losers. So go the out and start taking them on.
Chamo 